Might be hard to find some, but don't you shed a tear. Check out the Purple Rock Podcast and this is what you'll hear. John will make some dumb jokes, and he likes to yell and curse. And if they're not available, the backup hosts are so much worse. We'll spend the whole time being jerks and telling you you're wrong. And so we got this other jerk to sing you our theme song. It's the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. I am John. My co-host is Andy, the original gang, getting back together after all this time. I cannot believe we are finally here talking about Survivor Winners at War, an all-winner season. It has gotten so surreal to witness this thing actually going from words on the internet to pictures on the internet to a few preview videos on the internet to now our favorites, the Legends of Survivor, actually fucking playing Survivor again. Andy, how hype are you? I am so excited. Uh, like, I, you know, I've actually been pretty excited, you know, since the announcement and we, we kept that energy up through the preseason, which obviously wasn't easy with what we were coming off of. But now it's, it's just all energy, man. And I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm determined to ride this wave for as long as the show will allow us to. I tweeted just before the season started. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to put my heart in survivors hands and let them break it. I'm all in on the optimism. Go ahead and just commit and prepare to have my heart broken. And man, this episode did not break my heart. It delivered on levels that I've always dreamed that an all-winner season would. It was exactly the sort of thing that we had always hoped for. At least I had. I assume you hope for similar sorts of things. Yeah, no complaints. Uh, yeah, I like, yeah. We'll talk about the people booted. Were they the people I wanted? Not necessarily, but that's going to be par for the course. Yes. We'll be lucky when we get episodes where it doesn't hurt a little bit. Um, but, you know, obviously not the full way it would hurt. Uh, and we'll talk about that as well. But yeah, no, look, it's overrated, the idea that you can steal yourself up against disappointment. Like, if this season didn't, you know, uh, deliver, we, yeah, I don't think you can be like, well, at least I didn't get too excited. No. Feel big things now, feel big things later, because the worst is apathy. Yes. That's not what you want out of your chosen entertainment. If, and I think there are people out there, I don't think so for right now, though, but if you feel apathy towards something, that's when it's time to move away, even more so than necessarily anger. So, no, this is me to everybody, and and I think a lot of people are there. Throw caution to the wind. And, And could it all go wrong? Of course, there are certainly ways things can go wrong. But right now, it's great, and it's fun, and I'm living for it. You are the fandom. Be fans. Like, I feel like it's been so long since I was this excited. The episode ended, and I felt this profound disappointment that I had to wait a week. Like, when was the last time you felt that with this show? Yeah, uh, a long time. And frankly, like, that's not how I am often with many shows. Right. Usually I'm like, okay, good, it's time, you know? Uh, but yeah, like, I ended up 
rewatching parts of this episode um, earlier today, and I'm like, you know what? I could go for just watching the whole thing again. Me too. Like, yeah, yeah I'm never, I'm not that person. Nope. Like, I hardly ever watch rewrite Survivor at all. They like, keep old seasons, whatever. But no, it was just, it was, it was such a great, you know, combination of everything. Like, the tension throughout the whole episode was palpable, and I think the the editors deserve just. Like huge credit for that because they kept the tension going the whole way, and that's not just manipulating us as an audience. I think that was an accurate reflection of what it was like to be there. You know, everything that people were saying is, oh my god, like everything's just moving so fast, I'm having a hard time, I want to throw up. Like, multiple people were saying this multiple times. And I feel like that came through because I felt like while I was watching it, just like a like a shake, like a nervous kind of adrenaline pouring through the whole time because I care about so many potential outcomes. And I kind of got the sense that they felt much like I said in the intro. Wow, this is freaking surreal. I can't believe this is really happening. Like Adam, when the women arrived on the beach was like, whoa. That, like, this is legit. This is really happening. Ben freaking out at playing with Rob. Like, there were so many moments. Ethan going like, holy shit, I'm playing Survivor again. What is going on? I don't know what's happening. All those things just made you feel like they are just as excited as we are. And that was extremely fun to watch. There were so many moments where it just felt like the players were as into playing the game as we were watching them play the game. Yeah, I mean, like, Survivor is a show that hypes itself all the time. We, you know, in the preseason, I called, you know, Jeff Probst a carnival barker. He's always hyping this best ever, best ever. But, like, this is the biggest season ever, and it felt like it, to your point. You know, the players themselves, like, in what in that moment and a few others, like, Adam proved his worth in a sense, and that it, it is kind of nice to have a fanboy out there to be like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening, because that's where we're at as a fan community as well. Uh, so yeah, and, like, beyond, like, the excitement, like, that was a huge thing, the tension, just the whole way through, the point where, yeah, like, when it's over, it's kind of like, huh, and it, and it might be, like, 14 episodes of that. I mean, eventually some malaise will set in as we, the patterns will start to, you know, merge, but I, I bet it will feel like that a lot because of, there's so many different rooting interests. There was also like a heavy nostalgia factor, especially early on in the episode, and I'm so happy the show leaned into it. I'm, I'm happy that they recognize that this is an achievement for them. This is an achievement for fans. And I hope throughout the season, uh, they make sure to have like fan service moments and like genuine ones that I felt like tonight rather than like forced ones you get like in like Ghost Island or something. Because like this is a big thing for us. Like, you know, for me, myself, a lot of people, you, you know, but intermittently, like, this has been 20 years of my life, you know, spending time with this thing. Let's, let's, uh, let's celebrate. Yeah. I mean, the flashbacks, totally indulging in the nostalgia, like seeing these players from their original season and then how they look now, talking about their life outside the game and all these different things, like, incorporating Survivor into the world in which it actually exists within the show was just awesome. Like it was, it was the way to properly introduce a season like this. I mean, kicking it off with a champagne toast. Great. Yep. And then immediately leading into a challenge, like, okay, game on. That was fun. Let's do this. Was like, Oh shit. We're going to hit the ground running. I tweeted this too. Like, I'm not a challenge person. I don't really care. Often during challenges, I'll sit there and play on my phone and, you know, tweet something out. I was 
invested in the challenge. I didn't even know who to root for. I was just really excited to watch it. I was like, oh, I went that way. Wait, no, but then if they went, ah, ah. I couldn't decide who my rooting interests were, but I was just really enjoying watching the challenge play out. And that's not me. That's not who I am. Yeah. And just like that opening scene, I think, will show, like, if this season is doing it right, it's the balance. It's like, yeah, the heavy nostalgia of, you know, I can't believe we're spending these time with these folks. I can't believe we've been here and gone through this. Mixed with, uh, yeah, but this is still, like, epic-level gameplay. And I hopefully that's what we get all season long, that we, you know, take time to appreciate what's happening and appreciate these people who have, you know, given parts of their lives for, with, uh, you know, shared with us. And that's our, I didn't mean to say for us, uh, they're not soldiers. <laughs> One is, but that's not what he was doing. Um, but yeah, and then we've had, you know, welcomed into our homes and all that. But at the same time, like it's, it's, time, it, this is game time. We're playing for $2 million and, uh, you know, hopefully they keep doing some fun and exciting things. And I, I'm not, you know, I don't think there's a lot of anti side right now. I think the, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive for this episode. Um, but just like as fans, like let's just bask in this. Like it's 40 seasons, you know, is a lot. And, you know, they are full on celebrating. They're bringing people back for all the way from season two. And it's like, let's, as a community, for as long as the show lets us, let's enjoy this for us too. And like, I, I felt like a big part of that was just like reuniting with some of these characters again. Like, it, I found it genuinely touching both, you know, from their perspective, but also from mine when like you see, like, Harvardy talking about what it's like, you know, now leaving her baby at home and, you know, how Amber and Kim were struggling with it and Tyson was relating. Like, these people are grown. It was really almost like a reunion vibe. And at the same time, they're still playing in the moment. All of this stuff, them talking about their lives and things like that, that's also part of the game. And it was just, it was, like I said, it was so great how it weaved in just everything. All their lives, like updates on what's been happening with them. I mean, generally pretty vague stuff. I think Ethan, they dove into a little bit more because it's a little more uh, fully fleshed out story and what a story it is. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. Um, but it was just awesome to watch. There was some super fan types from the newer crowd that were like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. The older crowd that's like, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready for this game. There was, it was working on so many levels. I don't get how you could, as a longtime fan of the show, have invested potentially up to 20 years of your life tuning into this show and then not be, like, thrilled with what you just watched. This was great. Yeah, and it shows, like, the difference between reality television and other things. Because in scripted, yeah, we see, like, actors age and all that, but they're still, like, playing a character, right? These are scripted, but, like... These are their people's, these people's lives, and they are different. And you know what's also different? Mine. Yes. You know, like, yeah, my life is incredibly different from when I first saw Amber on television, or Ethan, or even Danny, or frankly, and I don't think a lot of people really clued into this until maybe this episode, or, but poverty, 10 years, man. Ten, like, my oldest child is 10 years old. Like, that is a long time since she was actually competing. And, you know, I, I said this in comments, and I think one of the reasons why poverty doesn't feel like she's in the distant past is because 
the you know, online community has grown uh, such then that we've kind of kept her like modern in our minds because we're always talking about yes. you know you know poverty and heroes versus villains and Micronesia and all that. But that's ten years is a long time. It really is. Uh, to give you an idea, um, there were no iPhones or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, was, but more than that, like most people, like TV shows don't last that long. And it was funny because when Mike Hirsch and I were pitching some uh, songs that we ended up using in our season preview podcast. Um, we got to Ethan and the thing I thought of with Ethan was, man, he was on so long ago. Like what even was the world back then? And within the song that Mike and I worked on, we mentioned the things that didn't exist back then because it really was a whole different world. And so it's wild to watch the evolution of these people that we haven't seen in over a decade. Yeah, and just like reintroducing them and like, uh, you know, the celebratory nature of it. And I'll actually, real quick as a side, I'm not like right now for this episode, I don't really care about any of the recent winners. Yeah, and like, frankly, like we were already low on a lot of them anyway, but like even the ones I'm cool with, it's just like, whatever, you guys were here two years right. ago. Like right now, I'm more invested in the people I haven't seen in a while. Or even like some of them, we obviously like Sandra or Rob, we keep seeing, but actually seeing them play like this it's a little more remarkable like wow like they've really changed but um it just kind of a, a, a strike a thought that struck me just what this season kind of represents is kind of it's a uh, it's it's a little kin to like the infinity war and endgame the avengers movies of which you actually saw one of I them did. um of, of like survivor and that this is both a culmination of you know again like 40 seasons, 20 years, and a conclusion, because for a lot of these people, this is yes. it. This is the last time. This was this was the one thing, the, the bullet and the gun that Survivor had to bring them back. So it's like a, a, a conclusion, but it's also, like, this is going to keep, there's a 40, there's a season 41 going to come up later this year. Like, the series keeps going, so it's both, like, kind of like a series finale, but more like, yeah, you know, I guess a closing of a chapter, and I, you know, I really hope that that, that you know, we'll get that feeling throughout and it'll be a rewarding one. And I, and I plan on kind of cherishing it, cherishing this last ride with some of these people because the last time, like the, the last, last time we saw a lot of them, we didn't know it'd be the last time, but now, you know, like this is the last time we're going to see poverty or Boston Rob or whatever. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah. And I mean, I genuinely believe a lot of them when they say, this is it for me. It feels right. I mean, Sandra has said she'd answer the call at any time. But I mean, when Rob says, yeah, no, this is really it. I I think this is really it. I don't even think that Amber was all that gung ho. According to the interviews Rob gave, she kind of had to be talked into it. This is it for her. Like we are really getting to conclusions for some of these people. And it's, it's both awesome to celebrate them. Sad that we're going to lose them again, but great at the same time to get like, the little, you know, the champion send off, you know, the, the Kobe yeah. final tour where everybody's giving him jerseys and he's giving them like, you know, uh, I probably should have used a less depressing example. Yeah. Dwayne Wade, Dwayne, yeah, Dwayne, Wade, Dwayne Wade. Exactly. Wade, Wade. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's nice. It's like a, it's a cool send off for them. And I think the show is handling that really, really well. Like it's letting us be reintroduced to these people, sharing in their joy. And then also, preparing us or in some cases already starting to get ready to let them ride off into the sunset 
Yeah, because like for a lot of people, like all of these players, you know, they'd say they'd never play again, but there was always like that one caveat. Well, if there was an all winter season, right? Right. So this, that's what this is. So I, you know, I don't know if season 50, he can pull something else out that'd be like, ah, okay. And frankly, you know, they'll all be five years older by then. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. And that's just a mindset that at the beginning of the episode put me on. Um, but the big takeaway of the new stuff. Oh man, we got Rob and Poverty teaming up. Ooh. Okay. So I did read Dalton Ross tweeted out something like oh you know i got this interview with boston rob and it's you're gonna want to take notes it's amazing and i'm like yeah yeah sure you know boston rob he's a great survivor player i have not generally over the years been super impressed with his interviews he's pretty clinical honestly mm-hmm. it's not usually all that interesting but man i ate this thing up rob was like breaking down the game it was seriously like watching you know a NFL pregame show or something like that. We're like, okay, we're going to look at the tape. Here's what happens. Blah, blah. And Rob is telling you, okay, I know that this person's going to need something like this. I know that if this person, I have to approach them this way and offer them. Like he really did break down exactly what he was going to do while also leaving room to maneuver and be like, okay, if this situation comes up, I will do X. I know I can't count on this, but I'm going to try this. Like, you can see in that interview why he's so good at this. And he mentioned in the interview, you know what? Parvati and I, we might just need each other. Like, yeah, we don't have that pre-existing long-term friendship or working relationship. But I feel like Parvati is practical enough to realize we need each other. And in that first conversation, when we see them talking about it, I feel like both of them understood exactly what was happening. Like, it wasn't even necessarily explicitly said, but it was kind of like, okay, you get me, right? Each of us on our own are doomed. But if we're together, we maybe have a chance. Yeah, and, you know, this is a thought I had, and we don't know how long this will last. Like, I think a thing we're going to try to do for as long as the season allows us, celebrate what we got instead of worrying about what's to come. Yep. Um, But... When has there been another duo this big? Like, typically, like, in returnee seasons, players of this caliber don't team up. Nope. They don't. They go after one another. Yeah. I guess, like, a close one would be, like, I don't know, Parvati and Russell. But, obviously, that's a very different thing. And, obviously, there's been some great duos, like, you know, similarly talented players in their first season. But, like, all-time greats, two of them, like, working together? Oh, my God. It's, you know, it was everything I wanted more. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what that could be. I don't think they're out of the woods. I don't know if they ever will be. Yeah, and and I, I would say, like, something like Parvati and Sari, you would think that would work. But at the yeah, same that's time, pretty in close. Micronesia, Parvati wasn't yet Parvati. Like, it wasn't... Exactly. It didn't feel as monumental as this. Like... This is seriously two of probably the top five survivors ever being like, you know what? It makes sense. Let's just run this game. And it's wow. It just feels that monumental. And that's what we've always wanted, right? It's like, stop taking each other out, work together, and then take each yes. other out. Like, it's still a game where you have to take each sure. other out. We're not, you know, against that. It's just... Uh, when you guys look to take each other out, Sandra and Tony, uh, you know, before the season finale or, or season premiere is over and game changers, 
it just means you're all going to lose. Yep. And we don't want that. We want to, you know, continue to bask in the greatness that's available to us. And yeah, we got it. And we got it like that. They were both like, yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. Let's, let's do this. So, and it showed them, yeah, we got examples from both of them and we can get into them both a little, um, how, you know, their greatness on display, but more than like, you know, how good they are as game players. What I really appreciated is like the late, the, the scene with them, um, you know, as everybody's, you know, manically not choosing anything and they're both just like, you know, doing the Paul Rudd, you know, look at us, who would ever thought like, why is nobody going after us? It also just showed how measured and relaxed they are at playing towards the cameras. It was just a brief conversation, but they know there's cameras in their face. This is a scene and they played their roles so well. And that is another reason why they are the greatest survivors ever. Not only are they really good at playing, they are just so good at TV. I was so giddy with that scene. That was the absolute, as soon as the show ended, I like saw the preview for next week and I'm like, okay, I got to go back and watch that scene. Rewound right to it because like I was sharing in that joy. Like I was just as absurdly giddy as they were. They were like, I can't believe this is happening. And I was similarly thinking, I can't believe this is happening. As a viewer, it felt like a shared moment, and I wasn't even there with them. It was amazing. It was the highlight of the whole night for me, and there were many highlights that it had to beat out. And another thing like that scene, and you know everything leading up to it really underlined for me, is uh because yeah it was crazy like why are they not being targeted and why is nobody picking a target like do we have to play for all of these 10 people um and like that also just plays to strength because you know another thing about rob and poverty is both they are incredibly egotistic right like they are both people that are powered on their own arrogance and so they they like uh, not only feeling like they're better than everybody, but that people are lesser and they can commiserate about that. Yes. You know, they, 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 you know, that's why Rob and Sandra got along in Heroes vs. Villains because they could be like, well, get a load of these idiots. And now they both have that in each other. Um, and again, Poverty and Russell had the same dynamic. Um, but that modern winners, and it really struck me in this camp especially, are never the most dominant early game players of their season anymore because it's such a, head chopping off contest early in modern survivor. Like there's a lot of talk about all oh, these modern players are They, they know the speed of the game unlike the, you know, these old schoolers and all that. And absolutely the game is faster. It's part of why everybody complains that they don't like editing as much as they don't know how to edit survivor anymore. It could be that they can't edit the way they used to because people are doing so much more than they used to do. Um, so yes, we lose moments when there's so much plot to go around, but, I think part of it, like, the, the winners of these seasons aren't necessarily the people that are going out there and attacking, right? The people that are attacking in modern seasons are often taken out. So the winners are the ones that were all able to step back and wait for the dust to settle. And I think we were seeing that on this tribe when it was like, all right, pick someone. And they're all like, well, that's not what I do. I wait for somebody else to pick someone and either agree or get that person taken out for daring to mention somebody. And nobody wanted to do anything. And the old schoolers are like... Can we just pick someone? That's what we do. <laughs> and Danny like mumbles, I guess Adam, like is she really just like, uh, is really nobody going to say anything? Is this how it goes now? Does no one talk? I, I mean, are we not voting out Adam? It, it was great. It was an awesome juxtaposition of the old school, new school vibe there. Also, I mean, you mentioned the plots and the changing game and stuff like that. Another amazing Rob scene, Rob talking with Danny. I think it showed the flexibility of both of them, actually. Mm -hmm. Danny 
so clearly got busted. We'll actually talk a little bit more about that scene later because that was also great. But she was clearly busted. Um, she admitted to Rob, hey, you know what? Yeah, I, I did throw your name out. And then there was this amazing transition where they both kind of met in the middle and were like, you know what? I get it, but maybe we can just work from there. We'll build a level of trust from this. And I was talking to Emin Scout and BK about this. She was really impressed with Danny in that situation. I was really impressed with Rob. And it was for similar reasons. M was saying, you know, normally you come after Rob. He does not fuck around. You are gone first. Like he heard that you're coming after him. You're his first target. This season, Rob seems to be adapting his game to be like, look, I know I'm the biggest threat. I need options. They may not be ideal, but I need to find a way to work together with people. Even if I can't trust them completely, I need something. And I think that they met halfway and it was awesome to watch Rob's game changing like that. And Danny having a game for the first time in 15 years since she's been on TV was also fascinating to watch. Like it was, it was a really cool scene and it was all done in 45 seconds. Yeah, and it also kind of showed that thing I was talking about, because what's Rob doing in that situation and, you know, the other one? He's being assertive. He's actually just saying things. He's just talking. And that's, I don't think with, like, these modern players especially, but especially the ones that were able to hang around and win, they're not used to that. They're used to, like, you know, lies and then going back around and scurrying and then talking to somebody and, you know, back channels and all that. Rob just, like, went up and asked. You know, and, um, yeah, I think that's also like a Rob technique of, you know, if I press you, let's see how you react. And, you know, I think people, um, underestimate the value of intimidation, especially in the early phase of Survivor. Um, yeah, I think people like discovered pretty quickly. It's like, I don't know if I'm ready to take out Rob. Like, not forget like the, the challenge stuff and the camp stuff. Just like, it's, that's a big move. Yep. I'm not, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. He's not going to make it easy for me either. He's going right up and pressing me for information. It's like, uh, oh, we're really talking about this. Uh, and yeah, Danny stood her ground and she's like, yeah, throw your name out there, a bunch of people's names out. And yeah, it was just great there. And on the other side, and you know, I kind of structured our breakdown for like the lose, the, the losers of the first vote and then the losers of the second one. But you saw this too. You saw like, you know, the new school players kind of kicking around and having ideas, maybe this person or this person. And then when it's go time, it's the people that are more assertive. It's, you know, Yule who's, you know, right away was putting targets on people. Sandra, you know, like, all right, let's not mess around. And it's this person. Whereas you could have easily seen like Wendell or Sarah or Nick kind of be like, oh, this person, this person, who do you think? Who do you think? Eventually, like, you know, the people that are a little more comfortable with this, maybe who were used to playing at the slower speed, be like, yeah, but let's just say something and go with it. Yeah. And I, I thought also the Rob move with Danny and also later on the Yule move with Sophie worked really well because it was very transactional. Like, I need you because of this. You need me because of this. This makes sense. It was the same sort of thing with Rob and Parvati, like linking up. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, Rob in that brief conversation essentially othered the new schools was like, okay, you know, look, I get it. You don't have connections to all these people. You know, we're from a different era. He's like, he's showing her that he's got something of her in him. Like, Hey, we have this common bond. You know, we aren't them. 
So then she's like, Oh man, I'll, you know, I'll come into the flock over here with these old school players that are more like me. And I just thought, this shit's a masterclass, man. He's so good. Yeah. And it's just like what you talked about on Redemption Island, right? You need to find shared traits with people. And if you don't have it, you pretend it. That's why, like, he was praying with them until he was able to take them out. And that's why, you know, it was important to break up Matt and Andrea because you can't, uh, pretend to have the bond that they have. And yeah, no, it was absolutely that. And I'm sure if he's talking to somebody else, it's going to be a different bond. Yeah. And that's what I like is that his game is very adaptable. The man is a savant of the game. And I- yeah. I it was never like I never necessarily loved watching him play. I think now he's reached that man. I was going to make another Kobe reference that later the <laughs> later career Kobe, where like I no, I get what you're I'd always rooted against him, but then late career I was like, man, I I just respect the guy at this point. He's just like he's done it for so long. He's so good at it. Like I, you just have to shrug and be like, man, he's just good. And that's how I feel with Rob. I'm that's the same way. Like I was never over the moon to watch him play. He was always decent. I didn't necessarily complain, but I didn't love it. And now I'm just like, man, this this guy's just so good, and I want to watch him continue to be good. Yeah, and that's kind of where I've always been. Obviously, you know, we have fun, and like, oh, he loves him, all this, but it's like, the why I became such a fan is just watching, and it was, you know, the double dip of All-Stars and then uh, Amazing Race. It's just like, it's weird that somebody can just be good at this thing that was just invented a few years ago, you know, competitive reality TV. But for whatever reason, he has the collection of skills and that, yeah, you know, extends to, you know, being able to play these weird little games and puzzles they put together. And it's just like, you know, 10, well, now, you know, 25 years ago, this wouldn't have been a role, you know, <laughs> like he never would have been able to make this potential because this thing didn't exist. But suddenly, yeah, it's just there. And he, yeah, he's just good at it. And will he win this season? Probably not. Winning is a poor metric for greatness, unless you truly believe that everybody on this season are amongst the greatest. Um, but I mean, one nice thing about this season is nobody's bad. Uh, we'll get to probably, you know, the person who had the worst play of the night, but like, they all have a level of competence and I'm going to be excited to see it this, but yeah, now that scene really showed it off. And then later in challenges, it's just like, yeah, it's just cool to watch people be good at it stuff. is. And one of the unexpected surprises for me, sticking with the old school was Ethan. Like I, Ethan was essentially a blank slate for me. Like I'd seen Africa. I'd actually done a rewatch of Africa, probably Man, it's been several years now, but he was fine. Yeah, he was a nice kid. Yeah, I wasn't over the moon for him. The season was, you know, a little depressing because it's not an ideal location. They were starving. It was pretty miserable a lot of times. But, man, just seeing him and seeing the flashbacks and the nostalgia and, like, him geeking out over playing and being like, I can't believe this is happening. I never thought I'd be here. Like, there were emotional moments. There were moments where you're like... You feel invested in his story already, and I didn't expect it. I really thought that I would just be, at best, indifferent towards Ethan. And now I'm on board. Now I'm like, man, I'm not going to root for Ethan. But if Ethan wins this season, I'd be like, you know what? I'm okay with that outcome. Yeah, early in the se- uh, like in the, our preseason podcast, we were both you know fairly like we were both like, hey, you know, it's cool that Ethan's here. We're glad he's alive, you know, and yeah, it's nice that somebody's older. But like, we didn't have high expectations. But uh, yeah, I loving Ethan. He has this, just the great energy about it. Like he is, and I think, you know, it comes from his story. He knows that this is, you know, just being here is a major achievement in his life. And he's, 
here to enjoy it. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to roll over. Like he, he's, he's in there. He's mixing it up. He's, he's recognizing that this is a, this is a lot, but he's going to do it. And yeah, no, I, yeah. If he won this season, it would probably be as a result of something spectacular happening because I don't know how you let that guy get to yes. the end. Um, because how do you not fight for the guy who, when he finishes his story about like, you know, I should be dead. And I was in my hospital bed just, you know, wishing one day I could be here. And also talking about the first time I was here, I was so moved by the experience that I started a charity. Like, that guy, you know, beats everybody. But if that happens, that means he did something amazing to get there. So, yeah, absolutely, I would be on board. But more, yeah, I I just really enjoyed him. I enjoyed, yeah, he was... The, one of the most wide-eyed people of the cast, even though I believe he is the second oldest. Yeah. I, I mean, it was really fun to find myself being interested and invested in his story, which I did not expect. He definitely exceeded my expectations. And while we're on the topic of exceeding expectations, I had the lowest of bars set in my head for Ben. Ben was shockingly fun in this episode to the point that I felt like he is the new JT. Like he is this season's JT already. I'm calling it now. Yeah. I actually loved what we got out of Ben this episode. Uh, and part of it is because he played the role of audience surrogate. Like, yeah, he, like his confessional about what happened with Rob. It was like, yeah, I get it. You know, it's, it's probably the worst move that we saw in the episode, but he delivered it with like such like, yeah, it was it, fun. Like, he was like, oh, that was stupid. Like, you know, self-awareness. I was like, yeah, where's this guy been? Like, and, and frankly, like, there was some of this guy before everybody turned on him in his season. And then uh, when he wasn't talking about, like, coal and the food. But, yeah, I know, I thought it was a lot of fun seeing him, you know, mess something up and, you know, immediately recognize it. I, I thought the scene, like, as he's getting pressed by Boston Rob, and Rob's like, you know, why would they want to vote on me? And he's just like... Because you're Boston Rob, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I also enjoyed that, uh, in that scene, he says, man, you're really good <laughs> to his face. Yeah. He was recognizing like, oh man, this is all getting away from me. But in the moment, no, like if we get that Ben throughout, I'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed Ben this episode. That's, I mean, it's been a long time claim of mine. Like I'm okay with you not being good at this game as long as you're entertainingly bad and him screwing that up was entertainingly bad and you know to give him some credit after you know he he picked up the pieces a bit and i actually felt like he did a few good pieces of business afterwards you know he decided that he would rather have adam than denise and he was able to start working with adam and then moving it around uh he doesn't seem to be a target so yeah like yeah he isn't doomed. But yeah, if every once in a while we just get confessionals from him being like, oh man, I'm totally outclassed by this group here. I'm okay with that yeah. too. I, again, it, I always leave room for these players to improve in their second season. I definitely was not expecting it of Ben and I was extremely pleasantly surprised from that first episode. I hope we get more of that. All right. So, uh, question. Which was more heartbreaking for you? Was it losing Natalie as the first vote or not losing Adam? Oh, the latter by far. (laughs) I was over the moon when his name got thrown out. I was like, oh man, I I can't believe it. Like this is, this isn't supposed to happen. The season is not supposed to go exactly as I would want it to. 
and Adam's name is getting thrown around. Um, I was disappointed that he was Denise's new Malcolm. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 that needs to be replaced. Like Denise needs to come with this crew that I care about, Rob and Parvati and Danny and Ethan. Like Denise needs to be with them. And so I was disappointed. Then I was like, oh man, if, if she loses Adam, this can happen. This is amazing. You know, they'll, they'll shift her over to their side. It'll be great. And then the vote flips over to Natalie. And I was like, oh man, double whammy. Like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. So where I was at is I actually was okay with it suddenly being Natalie because I was, you know, like I wrote, it's like, it's not going to be Adam. We're not going to be that lucky. And I didn't want it to be Denise. So, and that's actually something like this episode. And I think this whole season is going to be is it's really going to put into perspective, like, where your real feelings and rankings are, yes. right? Like, I like Natalie. She was great, you know? But then it's like her, Denise is like, you can die in a fire, Natalie. We got to protect Denise, yep. you know? Um, you know, and we're going to get to the other vote that was you know, very much like this for you. Um, yeah, no. So, you know, it was, uh, why couldn't it have been Adam? But it's just like, ah. Uh... And I mean, in some ways I get it. It's like, if you save Adam, I feel like you got Adam for a bit. Like, I think he might just be so grateful that, like, it worked out that, you know, he might not be so excited to jump into, like, a counteroffensive right away after having, you know, seen his survivor life pulled in front of his, you know, uh, in front of his eyes. That's probably not the phrase, but you get what I'm <laughs> right. trying to say. Um, now, was it the right call to get rid of Natalie, or should they have just gone for something easier and got rid of Adam or, you know, Denise? So... Obviously, my entertainment rooting interests were that they take out Adam, but yes. I I did. We did discuss in our Purple Rock chat today that uh, there was confessionals shown, the voting confessionals, and Parvati's answer or her confessional as she was giving her vote was that, sorry, Natalie, didn't want it to be you, but you are the glue that holds Jeremy and Michelle together. And upon hearing that, I was like, Okay, perfect answer. I totally understand why you took out Natalie, and I'm 100% on board. Don't like losing Natalie, but at the same time, I get it, and it's a sacrifice I will make for this. Yeah, uh, to keep Michelle from having any level of awareness or power, some sacrifices have to be made. Uh, to be clear for people, uh, those voting confessionals, you did not miss it. It wasn't on the episode. Dalton Ross from Entertainment Weekly was on site. He, you know, saw people give their confessionals. Um, he he posted all of those and you know his recap, uh, which I mean we don't normally read a lot of Dalton Ross stuff, but I I really like this week largely because it was just a bunch of behind the scenes uh, information that we wouldn't have had otherwise, and a lot of good stuff. And frankly, if you left this episode wishing that you had more, there's more there. Uh, yeah, that, and it just shows the the genius of poverty, right? Like I, I not you know we were just thinking of the the simple one, the Jeremy Natalie yep. connection, and it's like well you know. There's value in breaking that up. Uh, you know, is there some hypocrisy? Is like, uh, that's a duo you worry about instead of the husband and uh, wife? Sure. But Rob doesn't have to worry about hypocrisy. He needs to worry about, you know, not him, someone else. Um, and, but yeah, once it, it starts to look like it's going to be three people and this could be a hinge. Whereas, yeah, like as I was saying with, uh, Adam and Denise, like the fear of God that was put into them might be enough that, Maybe they can be brought in. Well, will, you know, Parvati Rob bring them in or will, you know, Ben, Danny, somebody else bring them in? We don't know. Let's find out. But 
De- uh, Jeremy and Natalie weren't uh, operating as a pair that needed to be brought in. They were operating as a pair that got to decide which way they went. And, you know, this is, this is Rob taking out Matt, uh, as soon as he comes back so that, you know, Matt and Andrea don't really have choices anymore. Uh, it could work out like that. So I, I, I think it was probably the right call, even if it wasn't my optimal, uh, you know, choice. Yeah. I, again, I think what it does is sort of creates free agents out of Jeremy and Michelle. And I'm fine with the Parvati, Rob, Danny, Ethan Alliance picking up either of those. Like, I'd probably prefer Jeremy, but I'll accept Michelle as well. Now, the great fear is that, like, and we saw a bit of this the next day, is that it alerts to people. It's like, oh, man, did we just get you know played by Parvati and Rob? What are we doing? But at the same time, like, they weren't the ones that, like, pushed for this. Uh, we don't know who made the final call. I have no trouble believing that it was them it, it, for no other reason that it seemed like nobody wanted to make the final call. Frankly, like, I wonder if Natalie and Jeremy had just, like, picked, like, really picked between Adam and Denise. They would have been like, cool. I'm just like, well, they're flanking all over the place anyway. Let's just grab somebody. Let's take out Natalie. Um and, and I'll say, I, I like the symmetry of her going out first with her twin sister having done it. Because I always have been uh, amused by the symmetry that that season was bookended by, you know, genetic duplicates. It just shows kind of how weird Survivor is. And now it's like, oh, now they've both gone out first. Uh, but yeah, it's like, so is it? it's a little dangerous in that people now might be like, oh, man, they're really here to play. And Jeremy, you know, is out there. He might want revenge. But... You know, it's always going to be dangerous for Parvati and Rob. So that's that's something you can really avoid. Yeah, and that's the nice thing is that Parvati and Rob are almost playing with house money because the odds are so heavily stacked against them. No one expects them to win. So they can actually be a little more aggressive because it's like, you know what? What are we going to do? Pretend that we're not good. No one's going to believe that. You can't just like suggest you've lowered your level of threat by somehow getting more inept at this game. No one's going to fall for that. So, you know what? Go out there, be the king and queen, run the show. And again, like you said, we don't know necessarily that they called this shot, but I feel like they were at least behind the scenes running this plan. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a season where people can't hide. They can't hide what they're good at, other than the people who naturally are going to be hidden, the people that, of course, people don't necessarily believe are really good at something. But you saw that in the other tribe. Uh, Wendell's like, I'm not going to be the guy making stuff. And they're like, what are you doing? You're going to make us something, Wendell. Like, we're not here for that. So, yeah, if somebody starts trying to dog it on a challenge because they don't want people to think that they're a challenge, it's not going to, it's not going to work. They're all just, I think these winners would be like, this is stupid. And frankly, I, you, you trying to be less than what people know about you will just make people more suspicious of you, make, make you a target like you're holding out on us. Maybe like the one area that it can work on is maybe Tony uh can make people think that he's less of a wild man. But frankly, that already seems like it's starting to go out the window yeah, too. That story is starting to fray at the edges already. So, and I'll say for me, I'm all for that because I hate the, the, the forced mediocrity of the game. And, you know, it's been something I've had to live with since 
it started. But yeah, it's like, you know what? Instead of trying to convince everybody you're not great, uh, why don't you find out what being great can do for you? Because I think this will be a season that will try to reward as much greatness as, you know, is possible. In the same way that, like, you know, uh, be, uh, me suddenly viewing Natalie as an acceptable loss because, you know, the alternative felt like Denise. Uh, and, and that the kind of mental math and where you stand this season is putting at, um, the next vote oh. out, how did it feel for you? And it seemed like it was between Tyson and Kim. Oh man. So I told you before the episode started all in, I was overflowing with optimism and Kim's name comes up and then it's Kim or Tyson and just got the level of gut punch of that. I was like, no, it, it can't be one of them. It just, it can't be. They can't be a second boot. It's, it's not fair. How is this season doing this to me already? And so then when it was Amber, someone that I was very interested in seeing play, I mean, we didn't, we talked about this with Ethan. It was nice also to catch up with Amber. And I got invested in Amber's story too. Like, man, I wonder what Amber would play like. It'd be cool to see what she could do in a season like this, even though odds, of course, highly stacked against her. I was invested in that story. But at the same time, if that's the sacrifice that needs to be made to keep Tyson and Kim, shit, I, what am I going to do? I'm giving up Amber 100% of the time. Yeah, whereas for me, I mean, like, I was resigned to losing Amber. Like, like her survival on that tribe w was going to take a lot. Or, or, you know, frankly, the failure of her husband on the other side. Um so, you know, it was, but at the same time, once she left, I was like, you know, like in the early challenge where we didn't, or both of these challenges where we weren't quite sure who we wanted to go. Now I want that tribe to go to tribal council all the time. I don't care. It's all about protecting Rob now and seeing how Amber can do it. <laughs> he lost his you know, backup. You know, I, I guess I lost a fantasy player and you know, yeah, the draft I took way, way, way serious, of course. Um, but yeah, so that's where it's at. But yeah, no, like it was rough seeing. That happened to Kim, and I want to make clear that I don't, I'm not putting any of this on her, and not just because of my extreme bias, but it's just like, that's, that's just the way it was. People were like, she met people at a poker event once, and that was it, and it was, it was a wrap for right now, and these people, um, probably wisely, at least for this vote, maybe not long term, but we'll see long term and, you know, modern survivors of, Really tricky wicket to figure out unless you got, you know, the science of Edric, of course. Um, but it, like, she couldn't talk to anybody. Nobody wanted to talk to her. They were freezing her out. They're like, no, you're not going to do it. You're not going to like, like Sandra laughed in her face. Oh, that was brutal. Kim's like, I feel like it's me. And Sandra just like laughs. There's a brief pause and then she laughs some more. And Kim's like, Oh, f like to just. Her face, just all the blood rushes out and she's like, oh fuck, like this is the end. Like there's, I have no room to move. There's nothing I can do in this situation. And she said in preseason interviews the same thing. She's like, you have to be resigned to the fact that you're probably going to get voted out. Like it's beyond likely that you will not win this season and you just have to accept that. But at the same time, like I can totally get her frustration. She played one poker game and she's maybe shared a few tweets with some, some of these people. Meanwhile, Sarah and Tony played an entire season together, came back, played part of another season together, and 
Sandra and Tony also have a connection. There was, there was other connections that were much more solid on that tribe. And yet all credit to people like Sandra and Yule for making that narrative stick that this poker alliance is the most dangerous thing that we have to take out. Well done. Yeah. And that's kind of the underlying thing of this season is that, like, yeah, it was tough and, like, completely unfair that like, Kim was having to deal with that. She's getting completely boxed out for even having a chance to do anything because, uh, you know, somebody decided to, you know, have a sh- uh, uh, a poker show and invite survivors because they figure uh, there's a hundred poker shows out there. If we have people that were on TV once, maybe somebody will watch ours. Um yeah, that's really frustrating, but at the same time, it's happening as a result of superior gameplay of other people I like. And I feel like that's, you know, that's going to be the trade-off. It, you know, it was very tough to lose Amber, and we'll get back to that in a second. It was very tough to see, you know, uh, Kim and Tyson in this situation. Uh, less so tough for me to see Tyson in this situation, just because, you know, I also find him amusing when he's falling on his face and he's getting, you know, a bit like, uh, knocked down a peg from his arrogance, in part because, you know, you're, he's a substitute for you. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so it's tough to see that, but it's a result of, like, awesome play from Yule, who I love. And that's what the season's gonna be about. And it's like, yeah, ah, uh, it sucks to see, like, Nick succeeding, but Nick's success is probably more Yule's success right now. So, yes. and, and I think because there's so many people I care about on some level, it's always gonna be that. Mo- yeah, it's gonna be tough to see the failures, but it'll probably be, you know, the result of other successes that I'm happy about. Right. And that's, I mean, that's what you're signing up for with a season with this level of talent. I mean, we dealt with this in heroes versus villains too. Like you didn't want to lose almost any of those players. It was always like, Oh man, that's too bad. We're losing, you know, Suri, we're losing Tom. We're like, you know, these people that you freaking love to watch play survivor, but it's going to happen because look at this cast. They have to go against each other. So there's going to be some casualties that are among your favorites possibly your favorite ever who knows but and i made this comparison to wiggler it's like when you go out for some amazing expensive meal and the food is so good and you're like oh i can't believe that was wonderful then you get hit with the bill and it's this sinking feeling it's like the exact same thing it's like wow i can't believe what i'm watching at the same time oh crap i'm gonna lose this player devastating and I'm, I'm at least glad the level of devastation wasn't as high here because somehow the target moved off of Tyson and Kim. Yeah, and I mean, the, the somehow is that neither of them were as threatening as Rob Mariano. Right. And it sucks that Amber is the stray, but that's kind of how it is. Like people want to make a move on Rob, but you're a little afraid to do it. If he's on your lot in your, on your tribe, it takes some, you know, might take somebody with the Eagle of Russell, frankly, to do it. And, you know, frankly had nothing to lose because he was so down in numbers One, you know, he was starting to make his moves against Rob uh, and the Eagle of poverty. I don't want to counter, you know, uh, take anything away from her. Um, and also, you know, when you get rid of Rob in the tribe phase, you lose other things. None of that's true. If you're getting rid of Amber, uh, and I'm not saying that she did, contributes nothing, but you're getting a shot at Rob without having to really risk taking a shot at Rob. He can't do anything to you right now. You're not losing, you know, his camp, uh, and, uh, you know, you know, uh, what's the other thing they do? Challenge, uh, you know, con- contributions. So, like, yeah, I mean, of course, like, her chance was 
that the poker alliance would succeed. Right. And, uh, for whatever that is. But, and it, there wasn't enough of it. In part, because Sandra wasn't a part of it. We, that was one of the, the calculations if, you know, she or Rob were having chances that we were hoping that the connection that Rob and Sandra clearly have, um, would benefit, you know, the Tyson and Kim and Amber. And oh, no, 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 did it. So, so let's do some quick talk about Sandra because Sandra gave a confessional very early on. Like, wait a minute. What the fuck is Rob doing out here? He told me we weren't or he wasn't coming back. And now I see Rob and I see Amber. What the fuck? I'm so betrayed. Normally I don't hold the grudge, but here. <laughs> and to, I was like, wait, wait a minute. Does, does Sandra not know what Sandra's like? <laughs> because that was an amazing statement to make. Um, at the same time, that's legit. She has always been that emotional person and values loyalty very much. And I think she genuinely did feel betrayed by Rob and was like, well, screw it. If he didn't feel that he could trust me enough to tell me these things, I'm going to take out Amber because he's clearly not going to have me in his plans. Yeah, and I think that there's been some confusion in comments, and you know, it's from people that didn't dive into preseason stuff, and that's cool. Uh, whether this is like a real thing, it's a real thing. Uh, the way you know, Sanders acting, she's not just putting this on for you know, you know, to convince people that she's not connected to Rob to save herself, which um, you know, is a discussion we can have right next, and you know, I think. There's some value to that. Because, uh, one, obviously she did it in confessionals to us, and Sandra is not somebody who typically lies to us. She delights in telling her truth, or her version of the truth, I should say. Because uh, I think she also has a healthy, um, you know, lack of self-awareness in some of her myth-building of herself, and I love her for it. Uh, you know, case in point, I don't hold grudges. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Um, she is somebody, she is a machine run on grudge and spite. Like, that is what we, that's what she does. You know, you vote out her friends, she'll throw out the fish and then blame it on somebody else. She still talks shit about Johnny Fairplay and Russell. You know, she burns the guy's hat. Uh, you know, she, Tony made a few remarks and she went after him and then uh, made fun of him at, on her, his way out. No, she is constantly, uh, churning up this stuff. So, yes, And you may recall this, but before Game Changers, Every interview she gave was trashing Sari because she had seen that Sari suggested Russell should have won the season that Sandra won, Heroes vs. Villains, and Sandra kept that energy for 14 yeah. more seasons. Like, she did not let that thing go. She holds that grudge. Yeah, and so that's what's happening here, and, you know, so it's true. Rob didn't tell her, and frankly, there's a good reason. He hadn't decided to come on this season when they were together. Unlike Sandra, he, I guess, wanted to talk to his spouse about this, about me. You know, I'm, I'm going right back out there. Um, you know, and she's brought it up in interviews that she didn't. And then she realized maybe she should have talked about it. And it's, that's why, in part, this is it for her. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, he never called her either. And... Uh, this has been discussed in the, the uh, Entertainment Weekly uh preview uh gathering they had on monday night so post filming of this season month months go by this is still an issue for sandra like when she talked about it um well they were on stage and like the hurt felt real in her voice like what i you know i thought 
I trusted you and you couldn't even call me. Um, and Rob, you know, like, apologized. He's like, I didn't call anybody. You know, the only person who knew was Amber. So like, yeah, he, and you know, other tidbits that are going out there is it's starting to sound like, like Rob and Amber were like the last people cast, possibly bumping some of the people that might have been. Uh, so yeah, he, he didn't tell her because he didn't know he was, you know, and, and you know, there's a chance on the island that he wasn't coming back until, you know, yeah, Probst called him and frankly probably offered him a bunch of the stuff that you hate about this. <laughs> um, abuse the listener, not necessarily us. So yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. And I think it's going to lead to, uh, you know, I mean, it's already led to a battle. This is why, uh, she wasn't going to be working with Amber or any of those folks at all. You know, she's just decided, you know, for one, she works best when she's looking to settle scores. And for two, like, yeah, it probably, you know, it was good for her. She already has a big enough target. Uh, and he, another one would have been, you know, Rob and Sandra, they're obviously together. They got uh, heads, you know, idols out there. Uh, she's taking that off the board. Yeah. And we shouldn't give the entirety of the credit to Sandra because no, you will also corralled some votes. And I was stunned. This was, I was worried about Yule coming into this season. I, I will say though, in the preview podcast, I called Yule and Sof, Yule and Sophie as a very likely alliance, but that's two people. I honestly felt like they would be on an island and not be able to control any sort of votes. They would be in a minority and be screwed. Yule, however, went around, picked up all these different disparate parts just laying around and was like, you know what? I just cobbled myself together an alliance and we've got a majority and he and Sandra, I'm going to give the two of them the credit. I mean, there was probably some other people involved, but they ran it. They ran that boat. Yeah. I mean, I think you could have done it without her. Probably. Uh, I think you know, there's a good chance he had six votes. Uh, what Sandra does is for one, she clinched two of those votes by going to, uh, uh, Tony and telling him that Tyson was, uh, you know, naming him, which was true. Yep. At least according to the edit, we don't know the full chronology. Um, and also it made it easy. Now they had an overwhelming majority. They didn't have to, you know, try to trick those people too much. They were able to split votes, the whole deal. So yeah, Sandra was able to, and again, that's going back to the earlier thing. It's because these two players were able to like really assert it. Like, yeah, okay, that's what we're doing. Um, it's interesting because Yule came, prepared he has done his homework he saw that clip of the poker thing he was ready he had his dossier of you know plans of attack and all of that uh it also sounds like yule has been doing some pre-gaming like you know it's it, it, well, what you know, they do are a natural pair him he, he and sophie they also both know john cocker yes so there's that and also it should maybe not be overlooked that yule worked at both facebook and google aggregators of large amounts of your personal data. Just throwing that out there. Not saying he accessed any sorts of private information, but I'm sure he had ways of looking up information about these players. Yeah. He didn't just work for Facebook. His job was literally like data security. And yeah, he was mentioned in articles. Like the privacy guru. Yeah. And yeah, articles in where, like, hey, uh, what happened to that privacy there? <laughs> um, and, I mean, from the preseason stuff, again, it's weird that we're talking about preseason. We usually just ignore that. But when it's actually people we care about, we read it. Um, sounds like he and Nick had a thing going on for the season. So it's actually really interesting and, frankly, credit to Yule that he is able to stir things up and get, you know, his plan of attack by bringing up preseason 
uh, and being all like, hey, I got no connection. Look at me, blah, blah, blah. I think he had connections. Yes. You know, I think, you know, him and Nick clearly did. Um, you know, whether that was because he's blackmailing Nick with the Facebook posts that were taken <laughs> down or not, I don't know. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if he and Sophie talked before this. Her reaction felt really genuine and fun. But there could have been very much like he talked to Cochran about, you know, people he could work with. And, you know, Cochran's like, oh, yeah, Sophie, for sure. Yeah, I'll relay that message for you, buddy. Don't worry. Yeah. So, you know, again, great on Yule. And actually, a fun inverse of this is uh, in Tyson's pregame, he was talking about how he was going to use off, you know, um, you know, pregame talk alliances and what people know and make up lies to benefit him. And instead, it's his pregame connections that put him square in the crosshairs. So it's like, yeah, Yule is supposed to be the one without any, and it looks like he might have done it better than anybody else, at least, you know, within this group. And Tyson was going to basically try to do what Yule did. And instead, he was, he had to, you know, flip on people to survive. Yeah, it was fun to watch. I mean, I love Tyson, obviously, but it was fun to watch Tyson and Kim get outgunned by Yule. So, yep. um, another thing, you know, whether this was related to a connection or not, I really enjoyed Natalie giving the idol offer to Sandra. Because the deal with the idol offer was you can essentially sell the idol that you found on Edge of Extinction for a fire token from the player still left in the game. Natalie can essentially make this offer to anybody that's about to go to Tribal Council. But it had to be one of the people of the tribe that went to Tribal Council. Right, right, right. This tribe is going to Tribal Council. So, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, the the two 100% locks, if you're trying to get the person's fire token, 100% lock that Sandra and Tony will buy it. Probably most of the rest of them would, but you can take it to the bank, Sandra would buy it, and Tony. Tony because, A, he's got a threat level, and B, the man will do anything for an idol. Sandra because... She's most likely to have the highest threat level and she's a huge challenge liability. So made total sense. And whether that was related with that was involved in Natalie's calculations at all, I don't know. It might have just been like, Hey, I like Sandra. Maybe she could use an idol. Who knows? I probably put more thought into it than Natalie did. Who knows? But yeah, I think they are actually friendly is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I've seen social media posts and all that, you know, uh, and I believe Natalie mentioned now yeah, that she has a connection with Sandra, you know, Brown girls unite type deal. I, I, at the same time, brilliant strategically. If, if you're trying to get that fire token from somebody, you know, she's going to spend it. Yeah. Unless she's already spent it on a, Tarp. <laughs> That's actually an interesting thing because, like, uh, I, I ain't buy, you know, like tarps are really valuable, and I could uh, be interesting. Like when we get like you know the three days of rain that always comes, if people are like, we gotta buy that tarp because if it's me, I'm like, I ain't putting my money in unless we're all putting our money in. And obviously, it only takes I think four tokens for a fire or for a tarp or whatever. Yep. It's like I don't care. You guys gotta buy coffee. You guys gotta buy all this. Like everybody here has to be in, or my money isn't. Uh, and uh, you know, especially if I also have money from somebody that's on, you know. Uh, exile right now hey, or edge of extinction. And, and this is actually a good place. I have a theory. I think you'll enjoy this because longtime listeners of our podcast will know you have a certain level of distaste, let's say, for fake idols. Mm. I totally understand it. Fake idols are shit. They 
never work. They're not useful in any way. People overhype them and say, oh, what if you do this? What if you do this? No. The answer is always no. It's never a good idea. It's always stupid. Unless your goal is just to punk somebody, then it's fine. Then it's great. Yes. I I worry that that's been lost. Uh, If your goal is just to create entertainment and make somebody look stupid, I'm all for it. I loved what Rick Devins did. I loved when it happened to Randy. Blah, 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 blah. Just don't try and sell me it's strategic, which I think you're about to do. I'm about to do that. Um, So, because of the addition of fire tokens, now there actually would be an incentive to create a fake idol. The problem is, in this scenario, you would need to have... Okay, so in this scenario, you are playing Survivor, you, Andy. You found a real immunity idol. Now, let's say you go and create a fake immunity idol. You've got the note of the real immunity idol. And you say to player B, Hey, listen, I desperately need a fire token for an advantage in the next challenge. This obviously has to come later in the game. Or whatever it might be. I need a fire token for X. I will sell you this idol that's only good for X tribal councils in exchange for your fire token. Now there's at least something of value that could be gained from you using your fake idol. What do you think of this ridiculous plan? You've just tried... To add an extra layer to the thing that people always do. There's gotta be a way that this will pay off. And you know, I admire the idea, like, hey, this is a new thing. It, I'm selling instead of giving. But ultimately, it's the same thing you're giving. The, the, what the correct response from that other person is, why would you do this? Why would you sell this? If this thing actually has value, there's nothing you can buy that would be more valuable than the thing you're selling to me. And that's always kind of been the thing about fake idols. It's like, oh, I'll make a fake idol and, and trick somebody. And it's always like, uh, I got this idol. It's like, cool, then play it. Because if you're not going to play it, I don't believe you that that is a real idol. It'll be the same thing. Uh, you know, like the only way it could work is if you're on edge and thus you can't. You know, um, use your idol. You can only sell it. Problem is that you would need producers to, like, try to sell your fake idol for you. And if they agreed to do that, that would be way, way too much Mm -hmm. for production to, like, you know, be the the middleman for deception. Uh, I'd join the chorus of people online calling for Jeff Probst's head (laughs) if they allowed that. But yeah, like a one-to-one thing is like, uh, and I know you're trying. It's like uh, it expires. I don't care. I like at an immunity idol anytime. It's like I need it for the next challenge. Why do you need it for the next challenge? Why do you need to win the next challenge? Well, so I could be immune. But you have an immunity idol, so that's like the thing. Like that's always the thing about a fake idol is like, you if it's a real idol, you don't tell me, much less give it to me. So you can't trick me with it. And now obviously that evolved to the point where like, people just leaving idols around and hoping they're getting fought, found, which yeah, is the thing that people are like, uh, wasn't that strategic? It's like, no, that's like based on luck and nothing. Like, again, that's valuable for fucking with people. That's when it's valuable. So no, I reject it still. Oh, I, I tried fake idol crowd. Yeah, you did. In, in, de- in defense of the fake idol crowd, my heart's not really into it because I don't give a shit fake idols either. <laughs> well- I do want to add one, a little addendum to, uh, my fake idols are always bullshit for, um, strategic purposes. If Robert Tony make a fake idol this season, I am going to flip so fucking hard on my stance and just call it the most brilliant thing. And that kind of, you know, gets it. I tweeted this and I want to make everybody, you know, clear is, um, 
this season, if I like the player, uh, and they, you know, get voted out or whatever, then I'll be like, ah, what can they do? Their target was too big. It's just a symbol of their greatness. And if I don't like it, then I'll be like, see, they were a fraud. They were never any good. That like, like, it's just total hypocrisy when it comes to those things. And frankly, like, I know that I'm not alone in this. Uh, for one, that's how people are with most things when it comes to Survivor, even though they don't want to admit it. But moreover, like, I've already started to see it. I've already been like, oh, well, you know, uh, Amber, oh, so don't like shit. Why didn't she work her way out of that? Cause there was no way to work her way out of it she didn't get targeted for any failure of her own she got targeted due to threat level and it's interesting that like she's gotten a bit more of a break than natalie part of it is because more people are fans of natalie than amber that's totally fair i get it the other reason is i think people are tricked into thinking amber somehow had so much more time and clearly she had more time but you know how much time amber had to work her way out of this situation the same amount of time of like every first boot in the history of survivor besides like jonathan and when yeah it's we, we usually know about first boots is there's no time the, the target just kind of happens on you and there's not much you can do it was the same thing for her um so yeah no look yeah that's how we're gonna play it you know when the good things happen for the people that we root for it was brilliant and uh was a symbol of you know their success and their all-time great levels and when bad things happen oh they're only targeted because they were great and with the people i don't like i'd be like haha you, you never deserve to win your season anyway. exactly so that's that's where i'm at yeah I, I mean around here we wear our fandom on our sleeve and embrace our bias this is our bias. Hey, uh, so since we're talking about fire tokens and all of that, um, I guess that leads to us to talk about they are doing Edge of Extinction again. Hooray. Uh, we quickly talked about this in our preseason, but not everybody listens to preseason. And uh, it would be, again, speaking of hypocrisy, the height of it, for us to criticize people who are ignoring preseason. Exactly. Like, that is usually our bag. Um, so, yes, it's happening this season. One quick note. Uh, one interviewed by Rob Sestranino at that previously spoken of event, uh, Jeff said, um, we've heard you that you don't like it. Uh, we're not going to do it for a while. So yay, yay to that. Um, but how do we feel about, um, both that they're doing it this season and what we got of it? Uh, because it's not the same. Yeah. I mean, I'll accept it. I, I always viewed this as the price of admission for this season. I mean, if, this is what it took to get even one of the upper tier legends back. Fine. I, a season without those, you know, probably four or five, six people, and you should definitely know which ones I'm referring to. A season without them wouldn't feel whole. So EOE is the sacrifice you have to make to get this cast. And I'm willing to make that sacrifice because to me, yeah. the cast ranks above all else. Any gimmick you can have, a cast can overcome it, and this is the cast I wanted. Yeah, and, like, there's other people arguing the opposite, and I think they're doing so in good faith. I'm not criticizing that. Uh, but not me, no. Uh, my greatest fear always is that they would do something called, you know, a champion season, but not have the real champions that I cared about. What I wanted for this season, what I always wanted this season is, I want to see the best compete against each other when winning isn't a cudgel to hold over them. I want to see what happens. And yeah, if we were missing, you know, Rob and Parvati and Kim or Tony, then, then it's not what I wanted. And yeah, this, you know, somebody, it could be a great season and somebody win and be like, whatever, you didn't beat Parvati. You know, you didn't beat Rob. Right. And I want to be clear, like, I, I really think Rob is one of those people. Uh, and frankly, his interviews, well, they made me think that more. And you saw what happened. He wasn't making this up. His wife had no chance to play because of, you know, his legend. You know, he might not, you know, make it out of, you know, the, the, the pre-merge either. So yeah, 
He, I mean, frankly, when he came back last time, he had uh, a built-in you know, safety net. He is aware that you know this is something necessary for him, and good for him for flexing his power. Uh, moreover, like I kind of thought it was a little interesting. Like I do think, um, and again, maybe it'll break it. Uh, what we're going to do here is what we you know, propose at Edge of Extinction, and frankly, what's become our motto since then. We're not going to complain about how something could suck until it starts to suck, uh, because it's just. There's no points in being early on this stuff. Like, enjoy what you have while it's lasting, and then, yeah, rain hellfire when it sucks. That's fine. Uh, but, like, the dimension of people on edge are actually still doing something. Uh, some people might hate that. They're like, how, how do they affect the game? But they're in the game. That's why they can affect the game. And I think that this season, uh, what we saw so far about finding an idol and having to sell it is like keeping them a little more active and it could result in Edge of Extinction being more than just a, uh, a paranoia free purgatory while they wait to get back in the game because now Natalie and Amber have to compete for items that they can sell to aid, especially those two, to aid the people they care about in the game. You know, Rob isn't going to get every advantage that all the conspiracy theorists uh, assume that, like, Amber's entire presence is only there to give him. If Natalie gets them first. Right. Uh, so I do think it could add, like, it could be interesting, you know? It might suck. But right now, you know, I do think, like, it could be a way to integrate something interesting, um, um, for the most interesting people in the history of the show to do. Yeah. And I'll say that at this point, I'm not really invested in Edge of Extinction. I'm just fine with it being there until, like you said, it goes horribly, horribly wrong. But for now, it's fine. It hasn't distracted from the overall show. It might do that later. I'll complain about it when it happens. Yeah, and one note is like, yeah, everybody lives in fear because obviously, like, seeing Chris Underwood was a win was incredibly underwhelming. Uh, because yeah, this guy just kind of fluttered in and did something. Maybe the the collection of greatest players of all time won't hand him an immunity idol when he gets out. Like, not enough people talk about that. Chris Underwood was like given an idol by Lauren. All they needed to do was vote him out. You think these people won't figure out that they need to vote him out? Frankly, if they weren't smart enough to figure that out. Uh, the realization that the only person who ever came back, uh, this late in the game from, ex- uh, when the, the only other time they played it, the winner came from Edge of Extinction might tell them to vote it out. Um, and I love like uh, what happened a lot is people doubted the very simple claim that yes, people on the show probably asked for it by like pointing to interviews, like, see, this person doesn't like it. This person doesn't like it. For one, there are a lot of fucking liars in these pre-season interviews that, and they're ego-filled liars. None of them want to admit that there's somebody that might need a, uh, you know, a parachute because they're like, well, I'm great. I won't, I won't ever lose. Why would I want that? That's only going to help other people who lose. Uh, moreover, like my favorite was when Kim Spradlin was complaining how much she hated it and nobody really stopped to really see what she hated about it which was that um exile or edge of extinction prevented rick devins from winning <laughs> yes rick devins the man voted off fourth in that season she, yes she, hated she it. loved it when it brought back the person she liked and i don't think she was such a huge fan of him early in the season probably a bit because nobody remembers that they liked rick devins because suddenly he just became a target of hatred afterwards no she loved like her favorite most of the season i think the thing she uh, offered to uh, show aliens about what was great about survivor was a 
post-merge Rick Devon stuff. So, like anybody else, uh, she was fine with it when it benefited she, people she liked, and she disliked it when it hurt them. And, you know, I think that's where we might be for Edge of Extinction, because, you know, um, it sucked to lose Natalie, but we haven't lost Natalie yet. Um, hey, uh, another interesting thing that happened this episode, real quick. Uh, Denise didn't go to Tribal Council! Hey, First time ever! The, uh, the curse is broken. The streak is dead. Long live the queen. Um, yeah, she finally dodged a tribal council. They, they really should have, uh, talked a little bit more about it, but at least we did get Adam mentioning like, Hey, you always go to tribal council. And, you know, we got the flashbacks with Denise going to every single tribal council. So it's nice. We're, we're having a season of firsts now all of a sudden. <laughs> Hey, here's a question for people. If uh, Denise now goes on to win this season, is it less impressive because uh, she didn't go to every tribal council? Because I, for years, people were trying to convince me that that's like a major achievement, like a tip in her cap that makes her one of the greats, is that she uh, went survived every tribal council. And it's certainly, yeah, it's better than the alternative. But you know, I've always posited that it's better to just not go to tribal council. Like, I'm interested in the people that were able to avoid going. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, when people like... Uh, Really like to point out, like, Eli Manning led the league in, like, uh, fourth quarter comebacks or something. It's like, yeah, but, you know, the guys that weren't always down in the yeah, fourth quarter. I was going to say, why are you behind? Be no. <laughs> then again, you know, it's not a perfect comparison because, yeah, it's not uh, – of the many reasons why tribe her tribes kept going, Denise wasn't the headliner. But it's just like, yeah, it's like it's – again, great that you survived them all. But it doesn't make me more impressed than people who just, you know, didn't lose all the time. Um Hey, uh so – in the preseason, I talked about one of the things I'm looking forward to, because as we said, most of the people we love are going to lose. All, you know, if we're lucky, all but one of them, it might be all of right. them are going to lose. But what I wanted from this season is just like seeing people be great at the things they're great at, even if it's just little moments. And I felt like this, this, just these first two hours gave us a few different examples. And I was interested in what, uh, so if you had any. Yeah. I mean, we kind of touched on some of the ones that. I enjoyed. Um, I liked watching the Robin Parvati thing. Yule showing what he's good at. Sandra delving into her petty spite as she does. Um, those were fun things. I mean, you and I have talked many times about how, like, if a season is going to be bad because someone dominates, at least we'd rather watch that person dominate because we can respect greatness. Like, I will watch Steph Curry sit there and shoot baskets from 40 feet out and sink them every time because that's amazing. People shouldn't be able to do that. So I'll similarly watch a dominant win and be like, at least I got to see a dominant winner. The season might have sucked, but at least I got to watch dominance. It's fun to watch greatness, right? Yeah, no, and yeah, there was a lot on display, and we talked about some of them. I think the biggest one was, yeah, Robin Poverty, not just strategizing, but just like owning, uh, their scenes and playing the roles that they know they're to play. Uh, but like, I also like, like Rob at the second challenge. Like, it's like, yeah, cause part of it also is like, Rob's not looking great, right? Like, he's looking rough. And I don't just mean like the ravages of time, of which I know a lot of, but like, dude is hopping along in like flip flops. Like, I think something happened with his feet and all that, but, 
you get him out there, and this again just kind of speaks to like his unique greatness at this weird combination of skills. And you know, he's doing the literally putting people in his back thing again. Like you know, that I guess like fuck, man, There's, the old guy still got it. You know, uh, yeah, he might be Superman in the fat suit, but it you know it hasn't stripped him of his power just yet. Yeah, I mean, I similarly, I don't know if everybody can tell listening to this, but. I am just starting to get sick. So, you know, I can relate to that because I am also powering through with my snot dripping down my face through this podcast. You know, it's, it's right on that same level. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Right. Uh, another thing, like, you know, just seeing greatness being great. Uh, Tony was really funny when he was talking about how he, uh, he can't be out there, you know, running around that, like, his whole bit about, like, being on, on probation and, like, having the ankle monitor and all that. Like, it, it just showed, like, the casual funniness of Tony and, like, the people around him were responding to it. We didn't get a lot of Tony this episode, uh, which is fine because when you get a lot this early, it's probably because he's going. Um, but I like that little touch. It's a nice little reminder. It's like, oh man, this, like, not only does he have all the invented gameplay and all that, like, the guy was funny as fuck. So I'm, I'm glad we got that. And then just real quick, like, Wendell built a hell of a shelter. Like, just my theme of, like, I like seeing people be great at the things they're great at. That was an impressive shelter that he was able to, you know, lead them putting, putting together. It was. I don't care much for shelters, but I, I get what you're saying. Cause like, yeah. like we said, watching greatness is just fun in and of itself. All right, uh, so we are no longer doing predictions this season uh, because we don't want to. That's basically it. It's not even like the extra work in like the predictions post that we used to do because instead, and we're going to get into real quick, <coughs> we're doing much more difficult posts for some reason and a lot more of them. Uh, it's more that... Uh, for one, we're horrible at it. Just, just, just the worst. Like, it took us, like, way past the merge to get one right last season, I believe. And for this season, we don't want to predict our favorites going home, even when it's obvious. Yes. So this would just be all bullshit and smoke and mirrors. And we do that. Like, I got everything wrong in Cambodia. It wasn't that I was that flummoxed by what was going on. It's because the, the targets would start to move to the people I liked, and I didn't want to say it. So I would keep coming up with elaborate fictions. So instead of doing that, we're just not doing predictions. But instead, you know, to send you into next week, we were thinking that, like, a fun thing to do would be talk about, like, maybe not boot predictions, but general predictions, or maybe even just, like, hopes of what we want to happen next and week. And this fits with my opening theme of this podcast, which is that I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to will this season into greatness. I'm going to believe great things were ha- going to happen. I'm going to put it out into the universe, watch it come true on this show. So, in that vein, I mentioned earlier on that uh we heard or we saw that Dalton Ross had the video of the uh, Parvati's voting confession talking about splitting up Natalie, Michelle, and Jeremy. My hope for next week is that that leads those people, either Michelle or Jeremy, coming to Rob's side or them then being ostracized and uh Denise moving over and I guess Adam comes with that too but those people moving over to the Robin Parvati alliance because really my hopes for next week are just that the Robin Parvati alliance continue I need to watch more of it yeah I mean that's my big one too is that yeah, they stay out of danger and here's the thing I don't need them to completely stay out of danger maybe it'll, it'll continue like what we saw in, you know post Natalie that they're all kind of like oh man they really did something we let them pull over and then like I'd be fine if they start talking about it again 
only for them to wriggle their way out of it once more. Like, that could be a fun theme and really underscore you know, how much better they are. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping for that. Uh, I think what we're going to get for the next little while, much in the way that Heroes versus Villains was the early part of it, was dominated by the Rob versus um, Russell storyline. I kind of feel like we're getting a Rob versus Sandra storyline yes. that's going to be a thread for the next little bit. Now, interestingly, it's going to have to be some kind of proxy war yep. because they're not together. But I'm okay with that thread continuing. Other, oh, Even though it clearly is dealt with like real-world feelings and such. But what's, what's interesting about this episode, and I hope they continue it, is they're not straying away from that. Yeah, you know, we saw clips from somebody else's TV show and the talk about the Poker Alliance. In previous seasons, they didn't talk about these previous connections that at least outside of the show, they would talk about, oh, this person was on this season with that person or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like, I guess we're talking about it now and I'm okay with that. So I, I'm, you know, I think that it's going to be a thing that's going to move forward, uh, which way I'm not sure. And then what my big hope is, um, I hope the target on that tribe moves to Sarah. Yes. I, I mean, really my hope for that tribe is just that Kim and Tyson find footing. If that target goes somewhere else, again, Wendell I'm fine with, but if Wendell is the sacrifice that has to be made because Kim and Tyson need to have somewhere to go, fine. I don't care. Um, really, I just need Kim and Tyson to move up off the bottom in that tribe. Yeah. But, like, I can see Yule's, like, okay, I've done, you know, a bit of a hit on this poker thing, and not, no, obviously took one person out, but also, like, it seems like, you know, Kim's got to, like, no poker, no poker, and all this, and, which, clear, like, I think it's true! I literally think they just played for those three hours. Um, it's fun, like, uh, all of us fans do that, right? Like, I was aware of that poker episode, too, and frankly, I think we talked about it, it's like, oh, man, they play poker together, it's gonna be, this really could work yep. out, that maybe, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, we did what Yule did, but, um... Uh, yeah, I hope that maybe he's like, okay, I've destabilized that. Now, what's the next connection? And that's why I was thinking Sarah. Also, selfishly, she's somebody I don't, I'm not interested in. She could leave. Um, but, you know, the next connection is that Tony and Sarah have played two seasons together. Tony, Sarah, Sandra played a season together. And frankly, I can see, uh, getting back to our earlier discussion, how Sandra is somebody who runs on grudges. Well, Sarah voted her out. So yeah, I think that'd be, you know, a nice target, uh, you know, to, uh, that's, that's my hope. Uh, uh, like, a plausible hope. I could see it going that way. All right. I think we talked a lot about this episode. We did. Um, probably a little more than we typically will during this season. But, you know, hey, we're, we're excited. It was a premiere. It was two hours. It was two hours. So, um, let's talk about where they can get more conversation about this. So obviously, the big place be commenting on this post, and that's on our website, uh, www.purplerockpodcast.com. Um, what we got going on there? Uh, we got a fantasy game. We had an interesting discussion about like what we're going to do with some edge of extinction related points. Um, we'll have that worked out. We'll, we'll put it up in the fantasy scoring post. Um, you still have until the second episode airs. If you want to do your fantasy team or update, if you want to replace someone that you had prior to this season, go for it. Um, like Natalie, because none of you guys had Amber. Exactly. Amber was the least popular. Um, We've also got our series going up, which you alluded to earlier, the 40 most influential survivors of all time. Um, we have Australian season survivor coverage. They're apparently doing an all-star season just filled with, I guess, all-stars is their term for very hot people, because from what little I've gathered, it's nothing but hot Australians. Good for them. Um, no predictions posts, like you said. 
Um, we will be doing some stuff, maybe, that we haven't yet announced, but eh, nothing's finalized yet. Yeah, so keep checking the website. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. The site is at Purple Rock Pod. Obviously, anytime something goes up on the site, it would be there. Also, plenty of pithy comments. I am at Purple Rock Andy. And I am at Purple Rock John. Occasionally tweeting, occasionally going silent. It's what I do. Yeah, that's another thing. We're not sure how much we're going to be on Twitter because we will not let that place ruin our enthusiasm for this season. Exactly. Uh, but again, most people, again, were ex- as excited, well, maybe not as excited as us, but very excited. It's just, you know, it's also a place where people almost just don't know how to communicate unless they're complaining. Uh, and I, I've, I've actually already muted some prominent Survivor accounts because it's like, no, you're not killing my bus. That bum, bum, bum. Some of that was preseason and I don't regret it. All right. I think that's all for this episode. Um, this is the part where we hit some music and I just, for this one, because it was so perfect, um, no, there is an advisory on this episode. You know, we've already said, but like, seriously, if you were like, hey, it's okay if my kid hears a few things, you might want to just say, I'll close the podcast now. But for everyone else, let's hit some music. I don't sleep, motherfucker, off that yak and that Durbin. Doing 120, getting head while I'm swerving. Damn, Natalie, you a 